I'm Charlie Taylor. I'm Ben Carter. I run hip hop by the numbers on Twitter. We use hip hop statistics to highlight the bigger picture. And I am director of the Fifth Element, where I highlight the Fifth Element hip hop, which is knowledge. You on point B? All the time, Charlie. You on point B? All the time, Charlie. You on point B? All the time, Charlie. It's DITD, and hindsight is finally 2020. We are here, ladies and gentlemen. We did it. We did it. We're on the other side. How, how, how are we feeling about it, man? Oh, man. What do you know? What do you know? 2021. I, I saw this funny video this morning, and it said, uh, so how's 2021 going for you? And it's just Lil Uzi Vert. He's just like, I don't know, man. I've only been here three days, so I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I don't really know either. <laughs> we'll just wait and see, I guess. Pretty much, pretty much. I mean, yeah. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I still have that. Uh, what's the word? Um, I still have that uh, cautious optimism. So uh, you know, as long as I keep that for at least half the year, I'll, I'll, I'll take. I'll take that. I'll take that. But we shall see how it goes. All right. Hi Ben. How's your hiatus been? <laughs> and yeah. uh, what have you been listening during the hiatus? Yeah, man. Hiatus continues as well. It's going to continue on into the future. I like the hiatus a lot. I do not like being on social media anymore. It is toxic. It is garbage. And uh, it's good, man. It's good to clear your head and get away from things and not sign in every day and not be dragged into these random conversations. So I'm enjoying it a lot. It might continue for the rest of January. I have some pretty cool statistics as well. I don't know if they're cool. I don't know. Charlie knows the 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 one I did. I, I I hit him with a with a random fact the other day, a couple of days into the new year, and Charlie was like, "Oh no, it was right in the, it was it was like a couple of hours after New Year's Eve or uh, midnight for Charlie." And he's like, "Wow, that's the most interesting fact I've learned all year." I'm like, "Bro, the year's only been going for two <laughs> hours, and it's a pretty cool fact." But I don't know. We'll see. We'll see when it comes out. Um, but I listened to a lot. Obviously, we had the hiatus, so uh, our hiatus from recording. So. I got into quite a bit. Uh, Playboy Cardi, Hold It Red. I'm just going to go. I'm just going to talk. I'm not going to go best to worst or anything like that. Uh, before I talk about this album, I want to say that I read what Iggy Azalea said about this situation. And I wholeheartedly support her. And I hope that her and Cardi can work things out. Um, yeah, man, it's a sad situation. And I, I hope that she feels a little bit more validated and, and gets the support she needs. I think that this Cardi album is actually really good. You know, I enjoyed it a lot. I can very much understand the criticism, uh, but I've grown up on kind of dark electro music, so heavy distortion and violent synths are definitely not a deal breaker for me. I definitely really like the fact that it does not sound like anything in the mainstream in 2020. Uh, I think it's already gone number one, or uh, it might possibly go number one in the, the not-too-distant future. Uh, and I don't really think anything in this realm has gone number one in 2020. Uh, not for a really long time. The last genuine album I remember that sounds similar to this going number one was Yeezus. And Cardi is a lot less endearing than Card- than Kanye was on that. Uh, but he seems to prefer to kind of blend into the beat 
and deliver these random one-liners as if he kind of picks them out during the ether. Like, it's like he's meditating or something and then he just screams these one-liners at us. Like, I'm not gay. Like, or they thought I was gay or something like that. It's like, I don't know. It's very weird. It reminds me of that uh, Lou Reed and Metallica album, if anyone knows that one, Lulu. But I think Cardi's lyrics are a lot easier to decipher than the message behind those lyrics. Overall, I think this album bridges the gap really well between industrial SoundCloud music and modern trap music, and I think that Cardi is a very welcome and skillful host, so I enjoyed it, man. I can understand why people didn't, but I don't know. I liked it. Uh, 38 Special, Interstate 38, very solid project again. I feel like Special really stretched himself here to kind of make a full album experience. Like, you know, when we talked about the Dave East uh, major label album, uh, where the label kind of throws the bank at the production budget and the the feature list. 38 Special is not on a major label, but I feel like he really threw himself into the production work here and he got, you know, Che Noir, Benny, El Camino, and it's diverse. It's, div- it's more diverse than anything else I've heard from him this year. It's glossier, it's bigger, It's uh, it's got more scope to it, and I think it's good. I don't think it's his best of... Uh, 2020 but i think it's a really solid project he he had an incredible 2020 he dropped 15 projects and 88 percent of the songs on them have 38 special production and i just think he was probably top five in terms of mvp of 2020 unbelievable year another one who had an unbelievable year is flea lord in the name of prodigy uh, this is exactly what Prodigy preach, man. This album is very gritty. It's very hard-edged. I was actually listening to Shook Ones yesterday, and it's uncanny how smooth Prodigy sounded over just crazy instrumentals rapping about pure violence. And I think Flea Lord is really starting to inhabit that space. And I think it's this movement that Griselda will make too. Like it will slicken their sound up. And this album is a very worthy piece of music considering the weight of the name in the title. I think it's a great project. KRS-One. Between the protests, bro, this is just fire, man. This is fire. Like, KRS is just dropping bulk bars about the current state of the world, and especially America, over beats that they genuinely traverse the entire landscape of his career. But they always land on that harder side. Like, you know, his first album was uh, Return of the Boom Bap. And this just feels like that, man. But, like, Boom Bap dialed up even further. He doesn't sound like he's missing any steps lyrically. Sounds in great shape. Very invigorating album. Great to see him back. Uh, Little Dirk, The Voice. I didn't really like this when I first spun it. And I, I, I messaged my friend uh, at Hip Hop DX and I'm like, I don't get this. What? This is weird. Like, it's poorly mixed. And he's like, what are you talking about? I said, I don't know. It's just badly mixed. But my aux cable wasn't sitting properly in the the input. So it just sounded all distorted and crappy. And I genuinely thought that was the album. Like, what the fuck, man? Little Dirk really fumbled this. But I, I don't, when I, when I plugged it back in properly, I don't feel like the production is incredible. But Dirk's emotion carries this project, which is a rare thing to say in, in modern times. The rapper or the artist is carrying the production here. Normally, it's the exact opposite. I would say that Cardi's production probably carried whole lot of red, the the production that he got on that. But this is different. And um, I don't think there's anyone at Dirk's level when it comes to really pained bars in this subgenre. He makes you feel things, which is a really rare quality in any kind of music, but especially in hip-hop, where the temptation is often to disengage with emotion and fixate on distraction. 
Uh, I think Dirk is supremely talented. Apparently, he did 70K first week. So I think it was his second week because his first week was short. I think it was a two-day week. So I think he did low first week, but this is his second week. And I really hope that commercial success comes to him because I feel like he deserves it. Uh, We get the Alpha Jerk by Key. Another solid project. Would really recommend that. I won't go too deeply into it, but it's just great top to bottom. Uh, Rap Ferreira, Bob's son. I actually never knew Rap Ferreira was Milo until a few months ago, which is kind of wild because everyone kept telling me to check him out. And uh, little did I know I've been up on him since the early 2010s. And it's interesting because Milo was one of those artists that was kind of shuffled hand to hand on the internet when we were a bit younger. He kind of inhabited the space of like John Wayne, uh, Shabazz Palaces, uh, Serengeti, Aesop Rock even a little bit. And the music is really smooth and lush, and it seems to revolve around poetry and what being a poet really means and how it manifests, especially in hip-hop and how it entwines with being a rapper. I like it. I felt like it could could be a bit heavier lyrically. I felt it was a little light. I feel like the aesthetic seemed to be more important than delivering you know, some lyrical opus, which is kind of what I associated with Milo, which I think is fine for where he is in his career right now. It's a warm listen, and I spied it back a couple of times, so it calmed me down after a rough week. And then finally, uh, Uncle Murder, Don't Come Outside 3. I saw an article that listed all the wild bars in this album, and I wondered why I didn't clock just how crazy this album was until I read that article. I don't know, man. I'm just used to Uncle Murder just going off on people. It's, It's pretty standard from him. It's a pretty stomping album. The beats go kind of wild. Uncle Murder has endless energy. And he just has endless time to address things. Like there's no filter whatsoever in what he talks about and how he talks about it. Some of the stuff here, I was a little curious as to why he'd want it down on wax even. But I don't know, man. It's his his album. I'm thankful for his bravery. Uh, At one point, he actually addresses the Torig and the Megan shooting. He says he wanted that wet, wet ass pussy. She didn't give him none. She hurt Tori Ego. That's when he pulled out a gun. She tried to leave, and that's when he started clapping. And I was like, whoa, man, this guy's really, like, he knows what's going on. But then he says, I made that whole shit up, but that sounds like what really happened. Like, he just, I don't know, man, he, just, he doesn't care. He just says what he fucking thinks. And, um, yeah, I think that's indicative of Uncle Murder in general. He just delivers how he feels about things without worrying about the consequences. And uh, it's pretty brave, so... I love this album, and I really enjoyed it. It was very entertaining. It was a great project. So, yeah, that's what I got into. What about yourself there, Charlie? He sounds like Long Beach Griffey, if you've ever seen his tweets. They're fucking wild. Oh, I haven't. Um, I've got to check that out. Yeah, just just like literally the first couple of tweets you'll see, it guarantee it's just going to be wild. Um so I didn't really, uh, I didn't really get into March like uh, stuff to be honest with you. Like I, I, oh, I did, I have. Like, I've gone into a couple, couple of EPs here, but uh, honestly, bro, I've been like getting back into audiobooks. So I was like, there's no podcast going on during the holidays, so I was just like, let me, let me, let me, let me dig into this audiobook thing. So uh, I actually did uh, peep uh, Commons Audible Original Series called Mind Power Mixtape. Uh, so basically, it's just six episodes of just like uh, him. Uh, interviewing uh, some people of note, and uh, it's actually really good. Like the I've I've only there's only like two, um, what's the word? Uh, uh series. Uh, well, actually three audible original series of uh of uh, well not copped because they're free if you subscribe. But uh, yeah, this this one was really good. Um, yeah, Brian Stevenson on. 
Um, it was obviously like a, a, a criminal uh, a defense lawyer. I think that's the I think that's the correct term. Uh, basically, the dude that helps people get out of death row. Um, if you've seen Just Mercy, amazing film. Uh, he's got uh, Hassan Minaj, Tiffany Haddish, Misty Copeland, Mahershala Ali, and Nas on the last episode. And basically, he just like talks to uh, talks to them about their careers and like how they, uh, you know, the the mind the mind stuff kind of thing. Like and what, what's like the a song that a hip hop song that touches soul stuff like that real common conversations if you if you know common so uh that's really good so I mean if you guys are on Audible give it a spin because it's actually really good I really enjoyed listening to that and also I've been listening to some uh, uh some political stuff but we'll get into that uh, well we'll never get into that because why we, why should you um uh so yeah I've gone to a couple of EPs uh Lady Leisha uh, astronaut EP um I'm 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 happy that Lady Leisha is just like like not even um, and I, I don't know if she thinks like this, but I, I, I'm just perfectly fine with the fact that she's just one of those people that, um, doesn't do many, like, full, like, fat pieces of work, right? Um, she, she drops a single here and there, now and again, I mean, a couple of EPs now and again, um, factually, she's only dropped, like, two albums, um, and the, even those are like, well, this one, uh, Quarren Queen is 20 to 12 minutes and uh, uh, Mona Lisa is uh, 20 something minutes. So, you know, it's not that long. I feel I feel just good the fact that she's not one of those people that clearly, and I'm, and I'm not saying she can't do an album, like a full on like 45 minute album. Uh, I'd love to see her try it. But I'm, I love the fact she doesn't. And she's just comfortable with the fact that if, if 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 I'm if I'm doing the singles, let me just drop the singles. Let me do a cool video for them. Let me drop a couple of EPs and just live with that. Like it's I've just there's so many people out there that are just dropping albums and they're not about they're, they're just not fit for albums. And again, I'm not saying Lady Leisha is that person, but it, it just it's just nice. It's just nice to know that. Um, but yeah, this is cool. It's called cool, it's cool EP uh, from the jumps. A heat of a track. Really like that one. Uh, you got Div here, which uh, is a diss track. Ivorian Dole. If you guys are up up on that kind of stuff, uh, Astronauts Fire. Uh, I wish I was longer than a few uh, a minute and a in a bit. Uh, Money's cool. Fake Flex is cool. Brenda as well. Uh, yeah, so it's a solid EP. Really enjoyed it. Uh, shout out to Lady Leisha and um, Kinematics by Feda. Um, F E H D A H. Uh, this is only four tracks, um, but they're very just—they're very bulky. They're very bulky. Um, she's actually Irish, which um, did not <laughs> did not uh, see that coming. But uh, yeah, she's uh, actually um, Irish, uh, R&B, electronic music kind of thing. Um, and yeah, it's a real just—it's mm, a real eclectic album. It's, it's an album. It's a real eclectic EP. Like all—all all the tracks kind of blend into one thing if you're not exactly like focusing properly if you like have it on the background it's like it just feels like a one long mix which i really enjoy there are a couple of features on here that just add a little more flavor to it but yeah so really nice just electronic r&b um, it's, uh, it's, it's not, not exactly like 80s synth kind of thing going on electronic but it's like a modern electronic um and also R&B elements as well so uh, yeah man that's, that's solid and i've also been this to uh i'm halfway through this uh flow Flow Hio, I seem to say you say Flow Hio. Um, oh yeah, yeah, Flow Hio. Um, she's British uh, from Bermondsey, South London. I'll, I'll talk about that next week probably because uh, I'm only about halfway through the album. But yeah, that's looking pretty good. And there's also a reggae album I want to get into uh, from last year. But yeah, no 2021 albums yet. Or projects yet. I haven't got. I haven't. Uh, 
I haven't dove into any of those yet, so the list has not begun. The search for the search for the year, for the end of the year list has not begun quite yet, but we shall see. We shall see. But anyway, we shall <coughs> get into first. Well, yeah, first part of our tribe called Quest retrospective. I am excited for this one because, to be completely honest with you, ladies and gentlemen. As hip hop groups go, there are there is no group that I listen to more than a tribe called Quest. I firmly believe that. I have a few tracks on the regular rotation. I regularly, reg- regularly, regularly go back to their albums and just spin those from start to finish. They are just apps you can't miss with a tribe called Quest. I firmly believe that you cannot miss with them. Pick whatever, put what, put whatever you want, shuffle it, fuck it, it will slap. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm super excited to do this one. Um, this is, this is going to be a real, just a real fun one. And, um, yeah, it's going to be a real fascinating one as well. And for the first time in 2021, we take the flights at all the way to Australia. And we hit up Ben's research house. He's, he's, he's still, he's still recovering from New Year's celebrations. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Real rager. <laughs> oh I'm god, sure. yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, you know me, yeah, I'm crazy. Yeah. I'm fucking crazy. Yeah. <laughs> real, real house party, Project X kind of party. If you, yeah. know, if you know, you know. <laughs> so, uh, what have you got for us today, Ben? Uh, all right. So this is an interesting one because, um, you know, I love a tribe called Quest, and I have actually been listening to them my whole life, uh, my whole you know adult music listening life, and I didn't really realize that until I dove into this episode. They've always kind of been on in the background like you know there's just so much music so much good music so many great songs that ugh, i don't know man like i'm listening to these albums and it's probably the first time i've ever sat down and listened to them album by by album and i'm like wow i know like 50 percent, 60 70 percent of all these albums it's just the songs stand up so well on their own and um yeah man fucking amazing but i think you know, the question of why a tribe is so revered could it could easily be answered by the fact that they just dropped three classic albums in a row, their first three classics, and they arguably have four classics in total. But I think that's a more modern way of thinking about why artists are so incredible. So like in the 2010s, innovative music is less common than it was in the 80s and the early 90s. So consistency is much more a marker of long-term quality. But Tribal, Tribal Quest is so much more than just having classics slapped on the majority of their albums. And I guess I want to kind of show over the next two weeks that we can really hammer this home and show why. And I think it's also worth noting how dominant Q-Tip is in all this because I feel like Q-Tip, a solo Q-Tip episode is worth doing at some point. But recognize mm-hmm. that when we're talking about the execution of a Tribe Called Quest, we're heavily referencing Q-Tip because 93% of every Tribe song has his production on it. And on the first three albums, which are the three that we're going to do this week, 60.7% of the vocals are Q-Tip and 83.4% on the first album is just Q-Tip. So that's wild. Um, so I'll talk about them a little bit. Uh, their story begins uh, with the forming of the Native Tongues Collective. And I just love these collectives that pop up. Like They're like-minded creatives who want to be more forceful in the development or direction of the sound they want to pursue. So they link up. And then they strengthen that evolution process through collaborations. Uh, you know, Soul Quarians is another example uh, who I really adore. 
And the collective set themselves aside from mainstream hip-hop of the day by heavily introducing jazz samples into the music and simultaneously dialing down the intensity that was emerging via NWA and gangster rap by dialing up the socially conscious content in a different way. You know, NWA was socially conscious, but this is a different, a different approach to it. Uh, it was dressing it in a brighter aesthetic that pulled from a real huge variety of sources, and it became conscious rap as we know it today. But more so than that, it really allowed rappers to move away from stereotypical materialistic tropes. Like Q-Tip said in an interview, in hip-hop it praises individualism. And I think that's the main achievement of the native tongues. It showed people could come together. And I see it as even deeper than just fostering that collaborative spirit. It's a little bit more left of center than the desire for wealth and power that I see in individualism. And that wealth and power and materialism is something that came to define hip hop of the 90s. Tribe bravely set themselves up outside of that sphere and yet still managed to be successful in the mainstream. And if you look at the cover art of uh, Three Feet High and Rising by Dila, which is kind of the definitive Native Tongues album, it dropped in 1989, basically just amidst the gangster rap revolution. It's invigorating, man. It's bright yellow background with flowers on it. There's a hippie sign in the O. And this was music that sat so far outside the realm of uh, what had been discovered thus far in the genre. But it was such a pivotal part because I often talk about the need for an artist or a group to push something all the way to the end of the spectrum in order to clear the path for those behind them. And the three key players in this were Dila, Queen Latifah, part of Native Tongues, and Tribe Called Quest, whose debut albums all pushed the genre into an entirely new direction than what was charting at the time. Uh... But as always, someone needed to take this sound and go deep with it and to take it all the way into the late 90s in order to keep that narrative thread alive, but also, importantly, to allow a commercial touchpoint for artists who were inspired by it to strive towards. So if the movement stayed underground, it may have just fizzled out and become another anomaly. But Tribe did more than any other Native Tongues member. They took it into the late 90s and they somehow got more commercially successful as they went, whilst the other members dropped off the charts. And I think this is key because in the face of easy commercial success by just adhering to the accepted and celebrated hip-hop sounds of the 90s, which so many people did and did well, Q-Tip and Tribe stayed really true to themselves and they kept that performative feel. Like listening to a Tribe album is like listening to a live performance from a jazz band. And I think they actually distilled that idea perfectly on the jam, but we'll talk about that next week. Um, they were highly influential, they were brave, they were unique, and it was authentic uh, when they were able to pop back up 18 years later and just drop one of the most essential albums of the 2010s, which again, we'll talk about next week. But the one thing that at the time that surprised me about that album, Thank You For Your Service, was how socially conscious it was. And Charlie and I talked about this a little bit because we discussed about how we felt Tribe had quite simplistic lyrics. Tribe is so sneaky, man. The first three albums featured really heavy social and political commentary, but they dressed it up in such a way that unless you were looking for it, it flew over your head, and I'm not saying that to criticize because it flew over my head for like a decade. I did not understand this side of, of Tribe mm. at all, and I was just mm. vibing to really danceable music, and I would imagine that this was very intentional, uh, and it was very effective because as I worked through their albums for this podcast, it was like this whole other world unveiled itself to me. It was much less glossy and fun. 
And it was like, I don't know, it was like these two narratives running at the same time. It was like they were making these great danceable songs, but at the same time they were saying some very poignant and important shit, and it was very instructive and impactful to me. And that's what I got out of this. I, I don't want to sum it up before, I, but I think it's important to talk about like why Tribe are so revered by so many people uh, for such a long period of time rather than just, hey, the music's really great. Like it, The music's great. But the message is fucking great too. And I think that, that gets lost sometimes. Yeah, for sure. Um, there's something about... Uh, um, well, actually, let me start with just like, Native Tongue stuff since um, since you began on that. And I'll get to that reveration? I don't know. Being revered as they are. Reverence. That's the word. There you go. I knew there was a way of saying it. But yeah, the Native Tongues just like fascinate me so much because I feel like they were so like short-lived as just as a as a collective, as most collectives actually, you know, obviously Soul Quarians didn't really last like only they only had like three albums technically that were in that particular era. Yeah. Um. Like it was like Erica's uh, Erica's album, uh, Electric Circus, and something else. Um. Or was it like Wolf Chocolate? It was like Wolf Chocolate. Anyway. Like I said, short lived. Uh, but yeah, I feel like this was short lived as well because um, you know, you mentioned the main three, but you also had like Jungle Brothers, Moni Love, uh, Black Sheep, Chi Ali, uh, Beat Nuts, Brand Nubian, uh. Leaders of the New School, which obviously at that point uh, had Buster Rhymes, who was like 18 at the time. Uh, yeah, there, there, there are a couple more that um, Daylar and Q-Tip have uh, said they were kind of members uh, later on. But yeah, it's, it's so... It is fascinating just like looking back at that and seeing where, you know, they are at now and uh, even, even during the 90s, because like obviously when... Uh, you know when Queen Latifah started like acting you know what I mean that <laughs> she obviously dipped out of that kind of uh that kind of realm um I feel like Daylar dipped out of that realm when it became stuff like you know stakes is high that era um and even with Tribe in some way like you know it's, it's, even though they had the aesthetics I think uh, for they held the aesthetics um, probably as long as for someone like Jungle Brothers, I feel like them two held the aesthetics of Native Tongues uh, vibe. Obviously, the the black, red, and uh, uh, the black, red, and green uh, for for, mo- for the most part. Um, even they even they moved off from in, from that in their music, I think. But uh, we'll get to that obviously later on. But yeah, it's just so fascinating as a seeing that um, being so short lived, but also having that. Uh, having that reach and having that kind of legacy um, just through them being who they are, uh, maybe not through their music, but uh, but still, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of fascinating. But it's interesting to talk about the reverence because, like, uh, for QTube especially, uh, I saw a um, I saw an Andre uh, uh, quote uh, where he was like basically saying QTip is like he he's like a <laughs> He's like a, a Q-tip is his dad kind of thing, and he he mentioned like him, uh, Pharrell, Kanye, uh, like all children of Q-tip, and I was yeah. just like, raw for sure. That's mad. Like that's 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 mad. Like we, we it's, I, I want to I, I want to talk about this at some point. I'm not sure we'll do it either between these two episodes or maybe during the Q-tip retrospective. But like the connection. The loose connection uh, and the low-key competition you can create 
with like Q-Tip and Dr. Dre is just like it, it's it's there. I feel like it's there, but uh, we'll 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 not we'll get to that some other time. Um, but yeah, Afrocentric lyrics, as you say, um, jazz influenced beats, obviously, um, and uh, tribe, obviously, uh, held that through well throughout their whole career to be completely honest as um as obviously jazz uh they 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 basically birthed jazz hop as a collective like just just and and as a jazz hop guy that just hits nice (laughs) just just knowing that um and uh you know some people call them alternative hip-hop but uh yeah that's kind of fascinating to me because back then it was alternative hip-hop like gangster rap was basically mainstream at that point right um so seeing what tribe and jungle brothers and De-, De La Soul were doing that's technically alternative um but obviously looking back at it now it's not exactly alternative it's all hip-hop in the in that sense uh and you can throw on the jazz rap label label if you want but yeah I find I find that particular phrasing uh for them as a group as you know quote-unquote alternative hip-hop in the 90s as just a, a, re- <laughs> a real interesting aspect of it even though uh in hindsight you know gangster rap ain't here anymore <laughs> anymore i mean it's evolved you know um and kind of uh, mutated into you know mafioso rap but you know straight up gangster rap in the form of nwa in them that's not even here anymore. But you know, jazz raps, every, jazz jazz raps. Uh, you know, well, I don't know about you guys, but I'm I'm still I'm still seeing some good jazz rap out here. So I I, I find that an important thing to note: the fact that again, with the longevity you mentioned, that longevity is there, um, not as artists, but also just as their sound, as the sound they created, um, and just also as a. a, a I forgot that I forgot I, I forgot what I was gonna say, but yeah, it's just legacy, bro. It's just a long ass legacy, and um, there was also uh, a part of the audio uh, audio books I was listening to. Um, there was a uh, "Go Go Ahead in the Rain" by Hanif Abdul Rakib. Um, if you guys want to go listen to that as well, highly recommend because I was listening to that on um, just before we uh, a few days before we uh, announced uh, announced to ourselves <laughs> that we we're gonna do this. Uh, so I was like, all right, let me get let me get into this tribe book. I've had this in the library for a minute, and uh, yeah, I'm getting a lot of my opinions from that. To be honest, um, in terms of just like the overall landscape, because he frames it very very well. But uh, musically, th- th- these are all my own opinions, of course. But uh, yeah, it's it's a fa- it's a fascinating group just on just on the face. But uh, we can get into their music if you if you show so shall want to. Yeah, absolutely. Also, I want to say like um, Q-Tip was hugely influential on Jay Diller as well. Like that's and then Jay Diller's Jay Diller's yeah, just like one saying. of the most influential producers of all time. So like the amount of influence that Q-Tip has is incredible. Um, and we can jump into the first album because I think it really hammers home your point about alternative hip hop. Because I'll talk about it, but I think. Uh, I mean, the first experience the mainstream world got of Tribe Called Quest was Left My Wall and El Segundo, which went number nine on the rap chart. And it featured one of the wildest videos you're going to like. It's it's amazing, like beautiful animations and the constant jump from vivid color to black and white. And then the whole narrative arc of that song, which is a classic song, is played out in a video. And it was just a full experience. Like imagine seeing this on your TV screen after watching Public Enemy or NWA tear shit up. So it's... You know, it's completely different to what what everyone else was doing at the time. 
uh, the production on this album is godlike. It is godlike. You know, I do see what Charlie's talking about with the Dr. Dre. I do see a little bit of that in Q-Tip's production because I think he uses samples to add that extra touch to the beat. You know, we always talk about RZA and Dr. Dre having this sheen and this like perfectionist quality because it's so clean, but they they add something that just pushes the beat over the top. And I think Q-Tip does that with, uh, with samples, great samples. Like, you know, Push It Along is really insistent, but the sample kind of sits in behind the beat. Uh, you know, the second track so perfectly chopped so much so I feel like sometimes Q-Tip is trying to cram syllables into the count because he knows how precise it is and he wants to get his bars off. Like I feel like that happens sometimes with Q-Tips. The production is almost that good that the rappers are struggling to, you know, to, to scramble to get inside the production because it's just, it's always on point, man. After Hours gave me that real performative feel. It's like the jazz band at a night spot who just is playing music constantly in the background and occasionally someone hops up and delivers some words over the top of it. And then they pivot to Footprints, which is a much more traditional hip-hop song. It's like a four-bar loop with Q-tip dropping into a quick cadence. And then it just gets wild and diverse, man. Like, I Left My Wallet in El Segundo is, to me, one of the greatest storytelling songs. Um, And then, like, Pubic Enemy, which I found a funny title, but, like... I always wondered so much about the the anti-STD messages in hip-hop back in the 80s. But then I read this article, and, you know, obviously we weren't around, you know, we weren't growing up in the 80s. It was, like, two years old. So uh, it talked about how horrific HIV was back in the 1980s and how scared people were of it and, and how much it was affecting communities. So pubic enemy makes perfect sense, and I think it's something that I spoke about earlier. It really highlights the fact that Maybe they're not overtly socially conscious uh, when you listen to the music. Like, I Left My Wallet and El Segundo comes before this song. So you might even just skip over this song or, like, you're still kind of reeling from that track. But um, the layered meaning behind the simplicity of a story or a standard verse is really intense. Like, Ham and Eggs is a good good example. Like, it could be a throwaway fun track. But it talks about the issues of diet and health and well-being. And, you know, Push It Along has social commentary that definitely wouldn't be out of place in 2020, which is also sad. You know, it's sad that why the fuck, should, you know, we talk about this ad nauseum, but like how the fuck is music from 1990 still relevant in 2020 with regards to socially conscious message? And, you know, so many artists have cited this record as genuinely revolutionary to them. Scarface said it was like nothing that had ever been done before. And um, there's just, it's just wild, man. Like, there's insanity everywhere here, and you can hear decades of music that was influenced by it, like T-Pab, loose jazz expressionism, and I genuinely feel that. I feel like, you know, To Pimp a Butterfly took it to another level, but this this existed so that that could exist. Uh, like the sparsity of Pharrell's production, on Clips tracks especially, it's almost like, um, I'll talk about it in a, uh, I don't know if it's this podcast or the next one, it might have been... Um, I think it's the next, uh, it might have been Midnight Marauders or Low End Theory, but I'll talk about it in a second. But the way Q-Tip uses space, and I'll, I'll leave it for then, but I certainly feel that uh, it's just like, I don't really remember it being done before. And then when I heard this, I was like, wow, this is the first time I'd ever heard anything like this. Uh, just going back over time, it's like 1990 this came out. You know, Pitchfork even said uh, Future's DS2 was an example of the bass 
that this album introduced. And I don't disagree with that. I genuinely don't disagree with that. And the whole thing just grooves. Like you, you find yourself just dancing to every song on here. I think to me, this will always be the quintessential Tribe Called Quest album. Not because it was the first of theirs that I heard or because I think it's their best, but I think it's just their sound. Like it's entirely unfiltered and they really had fun with this and kind of went wherever their whims took them. And they created a vast experimental space for other people to thrive in. And I think that that space has been filled. Obviously, as Charlie said, we're still hearing music like this in 2020. So fucking incredible project. It's it ha- it's, it's so... Um... I it, it, something I've something I've realized <clears throat> as the as the years go by for in terms of their discography, like it really and listening to this first, obviously, uh, it really just gives off that super youthful quality to it. Yeah. Like there's some albums you listen to, right, that have that it can be made by like a twenty something year old but it sounds like they're 30 odds and they sound like they just have mad experience in whatever they're talking about. Like Illmatic or Reasonable Doubt or something like that. Exactly. Like, even Life, uh, not Life After Death, but, um, Ready to Die. Yeah. Even Ready to Die is like that. You, I, I totally yeah. understand. We, uh, sorry to cut you off, but I want to punctuate that's that right. with examples because that's a genuinely good point. Yeah, exactly. Like, there's, so, there's so many of them like, that you can pick out where it's just... Uh, and, this, and this is the thing, like... There's, and this is why kind of the golden age became the golden age because they these these artists were so young at the time, but they were talking about the realest shit. Um, and you know, as you said, Tribe is talking about real shit, but they're doing it in a way that actually sounds like they're twenty odd. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> like, like having eggs is so childish in the way yeah. it's like i don't eat no having eggs <laughs> it's so it's so like <laughs> it's Feel so us. nursery level sometimes yeah. it's yeah the, the vibe is so nursery level um but it's just it's just fun like it's it's super fun the beats on here are just so have it's such raw quality to them um and not in like a bad way, right? Because Can I Kick It just sounds so quote-unquote lo-fi, yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> I just realised Tribe invented lo-fi music. Oh my gosh, who knew? Um, that's a that's a hidden joke. But um, yeah, it, it's hmm. it's so there's such a there's such a rawness to it. Um, like Lucian's one of my favourites, to be honest, in terms of just mm. like everything about it. Uh, I I just like the 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 French uh, French core kind of a kind of vibe going on there. I, I honestly, uh, if I could be completely honest with you, I just clocked it said Pew Academy. Yeah, I I, I, I don't know why. Few, I don't know why. Yeah. <laughs> I just, as soon as you said it, I was like, yeah. Are you serious? Wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even I know. clock it till now. Dude, uh, even when I was oh, reading shit. it out, I'm like, is it pubic or pub? What? Yeah, oh, I, didn't right. clock. Yeah, yeah. I just thought it was public enemy at this all this time. I was just like, oh, here's pubic enemy. I didn't even clock. <laughs> it's so funny. But yeah, um, compared to all the others, um, I feel like this album just has like a real uh, a, a youthfulness to it, um, a, a kind of I don't know what you want, how you want to word it, but for lack of a better phrase, like just not taking themselves seriously and also damn there's a lot of q-tip in this like like you said 87 percent. i don't even i I don't know why i took uh, because i've listened to this a few times obviously over the years but i'm just like i didn't actually clock how often tip just is 
on here and how little everyone else is. Obviously, Fife mainly, but like, yeah, it's because you listen to something like, you know, Can I Kick It, right? And obviously, that has a, 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 a Fife verse on there. And I guess when you listen to something like that for a while and have it on the regular rotation, um, you know, you can throw plenty of other tracks throughout the throughout the years. Obviously, like, um, uh, but but the, the check the rhyme, for example, right? Which we'll get into in a bit. Um, you know, y- you listen to those tracks, and they always have a five first on there, and you're just like, oh right, yeah, five five is always on there. Um, but compared to other compared to other groups, and I think other duos or whatever, like it's it's really unbalanced. Um, and I didn't know how to feel about that. Uh, at at the time, at the f- the first time I listened to it, as I was listening to everything else, because um, when I finished with this, I was just like, "That's a lot of Q-tip." Is it is it always like this? And obviously, when we get into the rest, I think it. I I, I don't know if you have statistics on that, but like it, it feels like it, you know, yeah. lessens a little bit and gets it a does, bit looser. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that, that I think that's I think that's kind of where I didn't see it as a bad thing. But I just I found it surprising of how much cute it was on it uh, vocally, and I, I just it kind of it kind of caught me off guard. I was just like, "Raw, another song with just cute it, right?" Okay, interesting. Um, but yeah, apart from that, um, yeah, it's, it's the the beats themselves. I think is kind of like the highlight for me personally. Um, I everything just the soundscape is like so. It's in that it's in that firm genre, right? But there's so there's so much variety everywhere. Uh, El Segundo has that ding 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 ding, and then Can I Kick It has the dong dong. It's it's all different. It's all different, and um, yeah, it's a it's, it's a it's a fire album. It's, it's so fire. Like it's just it, it's definitely one of those that can be um just thrown in the background, and you just like mm, mm, mm. You, you it's so easy to vibe to. It's super easy to vibe to. <laughs> Do you think that Q-Tip was like, uh, uh, maybe the architect of this whole thing? Because, you know, when I read about the Thank You For Your Service I mean, and they're yeah. talking about Fife being, you know, involved in the writing process and they Q-Tip and Fife kind of locked themselves away for four months. I've always seen Tribe Called Quest as Q-Tip and then, you know, Fife and Ali kind of in Joe Ruby kind of like, you know, hop along for the ride. But I don't know how accurate that is or how... I've just kind of left that as not something that I truly believe. It's just an impression that I've gleaned, but I don't really yeah. know what, you know, if this is like 90% of the artistic direction is just Q-tip or if, you know, yeah. I don't know. I don't really know. Because on the face, it looks like so Q-tip heavy. Like you, you hear, you hear the production and like, you know, you can just look at the track listings for that and you'll be just like, right, that's a lot of Q. And then you hear the lyrics and you're just like, cues all over this so you just you, so i do i do know where you're t- coming from there because i do always uh, and i feel like it, you need to like th- that's why this that's why this group in particular i feel like always needs a look into the background and you can't really take its f- face value um even though if you look at like, the track listing and just what you hear it just seems like it's a real it's a Q-tip operation that like three other dudes are just there for, um, but uh, but we know it's a little, it's not exactly like that. Um, so yeah, I I feel like it it really does. It initially, it initially just throws you off to be completely honest, and you're just like, 
but what are the other guys doing? <laughs> but it can't. I I can't think like that because, um, I mean, not to make it a Q-tip retrospective just yet, but like you know, I listen to Q-tip solo work and mm. it's not the same. No. So you know, so yeah, I feel like that. Obviously, the other guys have a necessary role there, even though on the face it doesn't seem like it is as powerful or on the same level as Q. Yeah, and I think also Q-Tip did take the solo thing a little bit further than anyone else did. Well, a lot further. You know, I think he had two solo projects that both charted top 10, and obviously he's popped up on a million guest verses. So I think that's the other side of it. Like, he's the face, you know, he's the public kind of face of the group. So I think that's why. Um, Yeah, yeah, I'll jump into low-end theory. Uh, So Q-Tip said about this album that he wanted to deal in dynamics. It was uh, one of those Red Bull interview song things where the moderator is just really annoying. But Q-Tip was great in it. He said, dealing with mood makes it so much more potent and that he was having a joust with dynamics is what he said. And again, Dr. Dre being a huge influence on this album makes sense because it's a much more minimalistic approach to minimalist, not minimalistic approach to the traditional native tongue sound although it's not outside that ecosystem at all you know it's it's maybe not an evolution but like an experimentation within it and this is the space section like q-tip said the musicality of space and how space is used hip-hop was still figuring itself out and there was a lot of phonetic stuff and the energy was high what's between the notes make it stick out space is an arrangement and a beat but also vocally that's q-tip's words and I feel on low end theory, man. I feel that like this is the first Tribe album I actually ever heard myself, uh, front to back. It was probably the only Tribe album I listened to front to back before we jumped into this retrospective. And uh, yeah, like Excursions set up that real performative arc that runs through their music so well. And you got to remember that Tribe debuted a full three years prior to the Roots and five years before The Roots achieved commercial success. And I was talking to Charlie Mm. about this, like we don't know that many hip-hop bands. But to me, Tribe always had that feel, even though they weren't a hip-hop band. I think Outkast had that feel to me too. You know, Outkast and Tribe both had that feel. Maybe Outkast a little bit less than Tribe. Tribe had a little bit more, I don't know what the right word is. Performative is the right word, I guess. But um. Yeah, man, like I feel like excursions, like someone could just be playing the bass while it's definitely a sample. It's like the mixing and the way it's incorporated into the beat that gives it that raw feel. Like you wouldn't be surprised if it was just Q-Tip sitting there playing a bass guitar. And uh, Scarface actually talked about this when they chopped up and played samples. It was incredible. Like Scarface said it was, um, you know, they would just play the sample. They would chop it up and play it. And it's a similar way to No ID did on 444. Jay-Z said that, no idea would chop the sample up, put it into his MPC, and then play it like it was like a, a keyboard. It's unbelievable, and it really lends this warm, intimate feeling. And I feel like it's the dynamics on this album which really appealed to me because it's actually a pretty epic feat to depart so far from the bright technicolor of their debut to this more darker, spacey jazz atmosphere. And I don't think there's a single beat on here similar to El Segundo, After Hours, or Footprints, you know, which are essentially Uh, flourishes. They're flourishes when you compare to this. And I feel like Mm -hmm. this is where Tribe really hammered home their socially conscious image. And, you know, naturally we go straight to the the song Infamous Date Rape, uh, which I felt Five had the best verse on by a long way. But, um, you know, there's also tracks like Show Business, which 
go into the murky waters of that track exactly like it goes into mainstream success (sighs) and the compromises you have to make morally and personally to succeed uh then we get like fife's meditations on love trust and honesty on butter um the charge towards materialism in hip-hop on rap promoter which I think is a wonderful time capsule from this period in which hip-hop had exploded into major label space and was being commercialized at a rapid rate. And, uh, you know, there's gems on the middle of the second verse. Like, he's like, don't dip on the dough because that's a no-no. Make sure you count your money real slow. Be alert, look alive, and act like you know. It's the 90s, time to make moves, not the 80s, do away with your womb. And I feel like this this that this song I liked that this song sorry came just before show business because it gives you the glamorous side of the life and I think the track yeah. really dives into the issues we've heard about from so many artists around this time um, and no more so than Pete Rock with that quote you know in the episode we talked about where no one cared about the money back then they just wanted to make music and I yep. feel like it's a brave thing to talk about it's a brave thing to talk about because you're consciously going against what everyone else is doing right now everyone else is signing deals everyone else is getting advances everyone else is kind of adhering to this materialism and this major label thing these guys are actively calling it out before they've really established themselves i think where did people's instinctive come like it came you know not that high charting wise uh 91 91 so like it wasn't a runaway commercial success they weren't they weren't Drake level. They weren't in a position of power to be talking about this. And to me, it just proved that they lived what they were rapping about. You know, it wasn't that they waited till they got to a safe spot to start like exposing shit. They just fucking said it because that's what they were and that's who they were. And I really respect that. And um, yeah, I think, uh, I feel like this album is the best that Fife and Q-Tip have ever complimented each other on Wax. I feel like Mm. Q-Tip is kind of like a psychoanalyst. It's like he's talking constantly in order to come to conclusions. Like he works his way through topics in real time on the song. But Fife comes in with these fully formed thoughts and ideas and stories and delivers them. Like, I feel like Check the Rhyme is great for this. You know, like Q-Tip is like building a case for why he's great. Like, it's almost like Q-Tip is like, I'm, I think I'm great. I'm going to work through why I'm great. And then, you know, we'll both come to the same. At the end, Fife's just like, He's like, me the five-footer, I kicks mad styles to so step off the frankfurter. Like, he's just like, yeah, I'm great. Fuck you, man. I'm so, I'm just fucking great. <laughs> and I think it, it really comp- they complement each other so well on this project. And uh, it's, a, it's a classic, man. I think it's better than their first album. I genuinely feel that way. Yeah, um, I agree with that. Uh, the thing about... I, th- I think the thing about Tribe overall that I just love, and it's the first time I... It was the first time I gathered this thought uh, was when I was listening to this, is that, like, it doesn't matter whether it's, like, the singles or the deep cuts. Like, you, you can, you're going to find science. Like, the singles are the singles, right? But oh, show business is so good, bro. It's like, it's oh, I think it's a posse cut. It's a posse cut. There's six verses on this. So that's a posse cut, right? So you have, like, uh, Tip, Fife, you have Lord Jamal, uh, Sadat X and uh, Diamond D. Yeah, there you go. Posse cut. Boom. Right. I, I just oh, that track. Uh, rap promoter. I uh, I just love when they start going in on just like talking about the business, as they say on show business. Um, because 
<laughs> and it actually comes through on Check the Rhyme as well because he goes like uh, industry rule, I think it's 4,080, uh, something like shady. Um, I, I I just like that that commentary, just like the just the just quick pop shots at them. Um, I will say in the in the overall sense of the native tongues at this point, right? And this is just a year, this is just one year after, right? Um, this is kind of where uh, it fundament- fundamentally starts dying, even though, obviously, as this group goes up, and same with certain people like De La Soul and Queen Latifah, um, their styles just go completely the other way. Um, so y- you listen to people's thing to travels, right? And then you go listen to something like a Three Feet High and Rising, right? And you can see where I'm going with this. You 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 listen to those two, and there's a very distinct, uh, I guess, uh, what's the what's the word? There? A very distinct sound compared to compared to each other, right? And then you go listen to De La Soul is Dead, which also released in '91. And then you listen to go some listen like Lorraine Theory, also in '91. They are both much darker and much more mature in in a lot of ways, and they both just move. They both just move off from the you know the the you know again keeping the Afrocentric themes you know keeping the uh, keeping the aesthetics of that keeping some things jazz obviously influence throughout, but it's just, but the but the but the um. What do you what do you want to call it? But the uh, the tone, the tone is so much. It just blackens in one year. It just blackens uh, for for both of those two groups, um, and for for though in theory in particular, uh, it just gets <laughs> the the bass lines are just so dingy, like bugging out. Just fucking oh my god, that shit thumps just a <laughs> it's it's low key just like death coming in in some ways, but if the if the heightened bit didn't come through, like you'd think someone's dying, it's just like boom, boom, someone's dying. <laughs> it's great, uh, but you know it it does it does it does uplift a little bit. Obviously, like check the rhyme scenarios. Obviously, you know very uh, very classic one. Um, but yeah, uh, there's the deep cuts to do it for me here. Um, obviously, infamous date rape, which um, really just—I forgot how uh, I forgot how uh, uh, in your face that track is <laughs> when I was listening to it. I was like, "Raw, this is really, this is really graphic," <laughs> but but necessary. It, it's it's good. Like uh, you, re- you barely get anything. This is okay. I have to, I have to say this shit is in ninety one, right? Ninety one, and and they're talking about date rape they're talking about rape in their sophomore album i don't i, f- I don't think we have we we have the we have had that conversation about just how fucking crazy that is in 91 these people were talking about this um so you know that's just that's just something to know but yeah man this album yeah straight classic like undeniable uh etc etc all that stuff but yeah man i just enjoy how well, not enjoy, but I just found it so fascinating how I went from paths of rhythm and then straight to learning theory, and I was just like, "Fucking hell, this went dark." <laughs> no, maybe not in maybe not in just like a, a, a messaging or whatever that or, or subject matter, but just 
the beats, the tone of of it all. Oh, that just it just it just switched up right right quick. Um, so yeah, that's that's interesting. I just I I would like to know just what happened to them in that space of a year for both of those groups and just why they were just went so dark with it straight away. Yeah, it's amazing, man. Like. I think it's just it was just a stylistic choice. Like I think Q-Tip was just like, I think what came first. You know, I, I don't even think it was like the lyrics. It was a conscious decision to change the lyrics. I think the lyrics were pretty. I mean, they were dark. They weren't that dark on the first album. But I think with his idea to to really play with dynamics and and look at that lower fire, lower end of the the. I'm not going to say the word sonic musical spectrum. Um, I think it just pulled them in that direction lyrically, you know, and I think it really enhanced the darker side of their lyrics. Like I think there was always there, but I think on low end theory, it just came out and not so much darker, like just more realistic or more uh, not as bright and not as, uh, yeah, I don't know. So, you know, I, I think we all get attached to I left my wallet and El Segundo and um, can I kick it? And we're like, oh yeah, that's Q-tip, you know, they're fun. But they're not that fun, man. They, there's some some tough shit in here. Um, so I think that's probably why it feels so different, you know. Yeah, no, I I, I see where you're coming from. Um, I guess we can I guess we can like uh, instead of saying darker, just say it's more realistic. Because um, I could now now that you say that, you could easily just think of um, uh, instinct of travels as like kind of like a. Uh, 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 a colourful fever dream. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just, mm. just, uh, yeah, yeah that's, that's how I want to leave it. Like a colourful fever dream. It's just like, uh, it's kind of, uh, has, it's super colourful. But I think Lorian Theory kind of like fa- found that balance of like, uh, not getting rid of who they are, um, but just, beca- just bringing a little m- bit more uh, realistic tone uh, to a lot of things but you know they still you know obviously in something like bar where you know that's kind of like five stop five some uh coming out kind of song where it's just like here i am i'm five dog here's a lyrical showcase for you you know what i mean just um and obviously we didn't get that fully um through, throughout the first album so for something like that you know it's just it, it's a lot of evolution i guess um in in just the space of a year which is super crazy to think about yeah, it's wild. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it was Midnight Marauders is kind of an extension of that, you know. Like, I think the fact that it went number eight on Billboard 200 is crazy, man. Like, this album really blew Tribe Called Quest into the stratosphere, and I feel like this was a great combination of their first two records. So the dynamic exploration of a low end theory mixed with a lot of the sample exper- experimentation of their their debut album. And, you know, you get classics like Award Tour, which I would argue is probably the most complete song they've ever released. It's an iconic riff. The drums hit like crazy. It has that little flourish. The hook is catchy. Q-tip flows like honey on it. Fife comes through to add the texture. It's just a great, you know, it's great. The, the, the dynamics and the flourish of the sample, the grittiness of the bass and the drums and the smoothness of Q-tip's vocals. And then the higher pitch Fife vocals and i think one thing i probably haven't spoken about enough here is their storytelling because storytelling was hugely vital in the Mm. 1980s where the majority of lyrics and and this is subjective when i say this i haven't run the analysis but um just from my listening experience they kind of dealt with everyday life you know relatively mundane topics when you zoom out so rappers would zoom in 
you know, like Bismarcky, Slick Rick, LL, uh, even Beastie Boys, they all spoke of really everyday occurrences and zoomed in so far that they became interesting and exciting. And that was a skill, you know, it was a very big skill to do. And I feel like Fife has this really amazing quality where you never know what direction he's going to go. Uh, you know, he starts 8 million stories with, um, went to Carvel to get a milkshake. And you're like, all right, fuck, man. Like he could have, he could end up in El Segundo here again. Like, where's he going to go? <laughs> and he just weaves us through a day or a week or a month in the life of Fife. Uh, he touches in with Leo Cohen after his car gets broken into. He gets stood up for a Knicks game. Uh, he can't sleep with a girl because of menstrual issues. Then, you know, he gets into the issue of clearing samples, uh, which we'll speak about, you know, in the next episode. Then going to Boston, and then he finally ends up so randomly uh, with John Starks, who's a Knicks player, being ejected from an Eastern Conference game. Like, what the fuck? That's one verse. It's just wild, man. It's such a trip. And that's the, like, yeah, I mean, the very next song is Q-Tip, diving deep into the usage of the N-word and the issues around its usage and and as he was growing up and how it's become ubiquitous Mm. in hip-hop and how that makes him feel. And I think what I love so much about this album is the way you can interact with it on different levels, which I spoke about earlier. Um, You know, you might hear that Q-Tip song and really groove to it, like that, that song, the red clay sample of insistent bass, and it just folds out into this beautiful path for your ears to vibe down. And, um, you know, Jay-Z kind of played into that particular sound when he sampled that for Verses off Magna Carta. So that song popped up on Verses of Magna Carta. And I really love the contrast of impactful and thought-provoking lyrics with production that really stands on its own as a separate thing. You know, it could even exist without the lyrics. But... um you know, the issue becomes then that Q-Tip's words really need to be heard. And I think this album really went into deep, very essential territory. Uh, It's full of pent-up frustration at systemic oppression. Um, You know, that that whole uh, Jake be getting illy when the sun get dark, he be coming out for heads, but shit, don't let me start. And that image of police brutality, it just hangs its ugly head over every bar in that verse you know it's like a storytelling verse right so it's just telling stuff about what's going on around but that that first bar that opening bar you're like oh yeah man like police brutality and then it comes all full circle at the end he says as the night seemed darker cops is on a hunt they interrupt your cipher and crush your blunt so you left your work at home so they pat you down for nothing why in the hell does 10-4 keep fronting and um yeah man i feel like that I don't know, it's just, it's masterful writing. It's masterful writing on this project. And writing is something that I've been trying to get into lately because I am writing a book and I'm terrible at it. I, it's, yeah, it's all right. It's it's pretty good. But at the same time, it's like, yeah, you know, I, I was listening to, um, who was it? One of those, a famous philosopher. And he was saying that everyone can be a writer, but it usually takes 10 years of writing every day to be a good, to be a, a decent writer. And I feel like on this project, they had fully embodied masterful writing. Maybe, you know, it was like 93, so maybe they had been writing since 83 and it was their 10-year kind of thing, their 10,000-hour kind of thing. But just the way that they wrap up narrative structures, the way that they uh, introduce motifs or introduce themes and then go in a different direction. And then the whole time when you get to the end of the verse, you're like, oh, we were in that theme the whole time. I didn't really even realize. Like they're telling a story within a story within a story. It's 
it's very good. It's very complex. And I never knew about that, obviously, until I really dove into the lyrical content. And um, it's a journey. The whole album is a journey. Like a few songs after that, we get electric relaxation. And it's just mm-hmm. great, man. Like it's wild. It's so wild. You can put this album on through great speakers and just allow it to blow your mind. But I feel like that does it a bit of a disservice because it's a journey. Um and yeah, I, I'm, I'm probably rambling now because I can't really fully explain what Firefin Q-Tip did on this project because they did it perfectly. Go listen to the album, but listen to it with new ears and maybe have the lyrics next to you while you listen because it's pretty masterful. Yeah, um, I think for I think for me, um, I like to think of this album because uh, I think I think you've really uh, put a lot of uh, good thoughts into that one. So I I'll, I'll, I don't really feel like I need to add too much on just uh, how good it is because obviously it is very good and it's just like while it ha- while it doesn't have that um while it doesn't have the full on jazzy feel I feel like it's right in the middle of the two like you said but yeah. for me it sits right in the middle in just how uh. In like the mood you can be in, like Instinctive Travels is just super colourful, super fun. Like you know, you can you can <laughs> uh, whatever you feel like doing in that in that mood, then go for it. And Low End Theory is just a bit more, you know, obviously just like grounded, just like you know, not just just nod your head to it, like you'll be fine. Midnight Marauders, you could do a bit of both. Like you could do a yeah. bit of head nodding, you could you could do a bit of like you know, a little bit of shuffling. You know what I mean? Uh, electric relaxation is just one way I probably. Honestly, probably one of my favorite tracks just ever. Like I, yeah. I don't know, so I don't know what it. It's just, I just, oh, I, 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 I really, I really think about like what are my like favorite songs ever. But like I feel I've, I can't, I keep coming back to that song a lot of times because it really just fits a lot of freaking moves, uh, oh, moods. So it really does. Uh, just a, just, a, just how, just a, how they talk about. Um, uh, just, just women in this. It's, it's, it's. I, I mean, I'm a dude, so I don't know if, it, if it's like kind of one of those, one of those songs for women. But I, it's just so fucking mature for me. I love it. Like, honey, check it out. You got me mesmerized with your black hair and your fat ass thighs. <laughs> it's just. Good. I like a brown, yellow, Puerto Rican, the Haitian. There's five dogs in this nation. It's just fucking great, man. Doesn't Fife just come in and Fife tears that down, man? Fife really tears that. It's so fucking good. I fucking love it, bro. Um, And I just realised Trugoy did um, a war tour chorus. I, I, I I, I just, I just realised that. Um, um, So shout to Trugoy on that one. Uh, but yeah, that Warsaw is just a classic as well. Like that's just super, just super bouncy. I, I love, I love that. It's kind of like it's like check the rhyme, but just so much more refined. I feel um, in just how, uh, how how it like kind of rises throughout the hooks and then simmers down as the beat the, the beat simmers down just a little bit, just so like you can get the lyrics in. Um, but yeah, it's it's such a nice up and down for that. But the thing I wanted to talk about for this album is just like I think from looking at it from where it was in the hip hop sphere. So the same year we had stuff like uh, Reaching from Digable Planets, Return the Boom Back, which you've already mentioned to this episode. Uh, Black Moons entered the stage, um, and funny enough, uh, <laughs> uh, De La Soul again, uh, Blue uh, uh, Balloon Mind State. 
uh, two packs strictly for my NIGGAZ, Black Sunday, Cypress Hill, Back the Fuck Up, Doggy Style. And interestingly, compare, and this is where I want to go with this, also enter the Wu-Tang, 36 Chambers. Um, the reason why I said that last was because it, it kind of says a lot, I think, about where hip-hop was and where Tribe sat in that. Uh, in that um, in that space, um, the thing about the art, the story about the artwork is obviously well um, uh, well documented. Uh, you know how they asked a lot of people, not just from the east coast but on the west coast as well, to you know take a picture of themselves like first listening to this album, uh, you know with headphones on, and that's where all the, uh, 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 the all the heads come from. Um, so you see people like Puff, uh, obviously the group and uh, other people. I think like a few, you've got a few DJs in there and stuff like that. Um, I think Suge Nice on there as well. Um, so that's kind of interesting. Um, but yeah, was it was it um, was it Dre? It was Dre actually. No, I'm thinking I'm thinking of Dre not Suge. But yeah, Dre was on that as well. So you know, it was it was it was kind of a symbolic thing. Uh, I feel for why they did that. I feel I feel like because. This was before Source Awards. This is before all the beef kind of, you know, went to the went to the uh, went went to the, went to the boiling point. But I think this was like where it started. Where you know it was coming. It was coming up a little bit. Um, but I feel like Tribe really had this uh, universal ideal, and we'll get to it in the next episode because I think uh, there is a track. I think it's on Beast Rhymes and Life where a uh, tip literally dedicates like a whole solid verse to the east coast west coast beef um and where he stands on that front uh which is kind of fascinating but um yeah it's it's really interesting of where this album was in hip-hop uh context in the context of hip-hop history um and how it found that balance in their own right but was also in its own place not just for their own ca- uh, catalog, but for also where hip hop was. Like Enter the Wu Tang was fucking seminal. <laughs> like that, that, that Wu Tang really just like uh, said, "Okay, East Coast is now going super dark." Like think of the think of the albums that came after that, right? You had the Max, right? What was the Yeah, um, you had the Ready to Dies. You had the Mob Deeps. Um, you know, it just. East Coast hip hop just went super dark after that, um, and I just find that I just find that interesting. And obviously, this, at this point, obviously Doggy Style and Strictly came through as well. So Tupac and Snoop Dogg were just getting just getting started on this year as well, um, and obviously that set a tone. So I just find it interesting of where this album sits as a really unique outlier um, in this year of 1993, and also just in the context of hip hop history of like where the sound was going it wasn't where they were at it really wasn't um but i i feel like that's why this album's i think that's why it's, this album sticks out i think more to people that were there at the time um compared to something like low in theory because obviously people go you know oh which one do you like about midnight rules or low in theory right um and for me personally it's similar to like uh, ready to die or laugh after death 
because uh, I said on that episode, it's whatever I listened to <laughs> most recently, because um, I truly believe that. It just like every every time I go back to one of them, that's the best one for me. Um, but I feel like for people that were there when it initially dropped, I feel like most of them pick Midnight Marauders because it was so different. Uh, and obviously the rest were different, but um, uh, you know, in context as well, uh, Native Tongues were kind of dead at this point, right? So there weren't exactly much people past maybe, uh, obviously Daylight was still going with Balloon Mindstay and I was a bit more jazzy, Diggable Planets, which obviously you mentioned, uh, uh, is it is it Butterfly? Uh, not Butterfly. Um, uh, actually, I think it's Butterfly, um, uh, uh, Shabazz Palaces. I forget I forget which, which one of the two. Um, but yeah, one of those I mentioned, uh, Shabazz Palaces. Um, but yeah, you know, while there were still some people doing what Tribe were doing, I feel like that album just really, really set itself out as a unique outlier in the context of a lot of things, no matter how far you zoom out or zoom in, um, it just comes out as a unique body of work. And uh, yeah, I feel I feel like there's a really, there's a really cool thing about that, that they had no control over that, I don't think. Um, but <laughs> as the years went on, uh, you know, as the 90s went on especially, like, you know, it just kind of came more to the forefront of how unique that album uh, really became um, in uh, not just in the discography but also in the context of hip hop. Yeah, absolutely. I don't really have much else to say. I think that was really well said. I think. Um, Fucking spat on that. <laughs> went off, man. Went off. Charlie went in. Charlie went in. <laughs> not too well, well not said, too well, but yeah, not too well, well but yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, I think just to end on that because obviously we'll we'll get into the other the next. Uh, the next three shout out to tribe for splitting in splitting it nicely into half for us uh, you know yeah, obviously they did like that they, they clearly did it for us i'm just so, <laughs> it's just so let, let's make sure this retrospect is a half and half a nice solid half and half but uh, yeah obviously we're doing beach rise and life love movement and we got it from here next episode um but uh yeah no there's three years in between marauders and beats rhymes and life and i think the interesting prelude i want to set um towards um towards the uh, next uh, next episode is that every time they were about to drop an album or in in this in this i guess in the in the in the years maybe before or just after it uh, there was just like major shit going on major shifts going on so 1996 98 and 2016 like you can probably imagine just off the years alone like what were going what was going on around those times um, so I feel like contextually, um, there was there's so there's so much meat there um, that I'm personally going to try and chew on uh, next week. But uh, yeah, man, it's going to be uh, it's, it's definitely going to be um, an interesting an interesting look at like you know because obviously Midnight Marauders was the height um, for this group, and you know technically there's a come down here, but um, I will find it interesting on our thoughts on the on the three as a whole, um, and uh, where it sits every uh, in I guess in their discography as well. It'd be very interesting to look at the Jay Dealer connection to next week. I think, um, yeah, I'm interested to definitely. about that because definitely, uh, definitely. 
that changed, man. That changed their sound a lot, and um, it was it was it came in for some criticism. You know, people people nowadays uh, look back at Diller as a, as an absolute god. But um, when it first when he first landed, and this is where he first landed, beats rhymes and life, and um, yeah, so it'll be interesting to talk about that. I'm pretty keen, man. I'm I'm glad that we could split it up into two weeks because I was looking at it today uh, before you text me. And I was like, "Oh man, it's gonna be it's gonna be a tight one. It's gonna be an hour fifty. It's a long, it's be a long app. So I think it's yeah. better because it gives us an opportunity to have a bit of discussion too, rather than just, you yeah. know, I know that we our the format of our podcast is kind of monologues where we we both deliver our monologues and see where they link really up. Is, <laughs> it is. I mean, it's 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 naturally evolved in that direction. I think it's harder when you're not in the same room with someone. I don't think it's sure. very easy. I think we've yeah, done very yeah. well, uh, considering yeah. we've never even fucking met in real life. So I think, yeah, I think it's just evolved in that direction. I think it works really well. But I think sometimes it is good to have a little bit of discussion. And I think splitting it up gives us that opportunity without time pressure. So I think that's good. So just for kicks, being uh, up rules all over theory. It's hard, man. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, I prefer their first album, but I think okay, all right. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah, I mean, that's yeah, just that's okay. the subjective. That's me, but I, I I yeah. think Low in Theory is the better album. Um, okay, it's just tighter. It just feels tighter. But uh, mm. Midnight Marauder is classic. You know, they all three of them are just classics. You know, they they came out the gate with three classics. Or, you know, off rip. It's amazing. Yeah, that's a that's a that's a that's a feat. That's a feat. Um, I mean, yeah, I'd probably say it depends, honestly, on like what I'm what I'm doing and what I'm feeling. Yeah, it really true. is dependent on mood for me. True. Uh, I guess objectively, I'd probably say uh, I'd probably say low in theory, just because of just like the uh, just because of the topics they get into and how explicitly they get into them. Like, there's several tracks about the industry, uh, Infamous Day Real were talking about, right? I just feel like the topics and subject matter there were so explicit, um, and so out there. Well, not out there, but just, like, so st- uh, statement, uh, uh, statement works. I feel like it just sticks out for me there. Um, uh, I think... In terms of just like a casual listen, I'd probably listen to Midnight Marauders more, um, just as a personal preference. I'd be like, if you, if you if if you know if you said which one do you want to play right now, I'd probably most likely say Midnight Marauders like six times out of ten. Uh, but I feel like objectively, Low End Theory is probably uh, the better, uh, and like you said, much more. I, th- I think it is much more, especially production wise, just way more cohesive. Like uh, just the 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 thick beats just just do not stop like going but they still manage to change it up in some way every time uh but yeah uh man 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 three classics in a freaking row absolutely crazy but yeah we'll get into it next week and with that said shop in straight into uh uh god i feel like i feel like sometimes like i i'm sh- i shoot myself in the foot by calling this a lighter note because it's like I mean, we we do try, but like sometimes you just can't. No. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, obviously um, on the well, for me personally, the eve of like hours away from New yeah. Year's, uh, uh, from the midnight drop in, uh, the news of MF Doom, uh, uh, well, the news of his death from October thirty first uh, came came out from his family in a statement on social media, but. Um, 
Ja, så det er en crazy one. It's a crazy one to just like think about because I feel like this will take a long while to really contextualize how and that's been my word of the day, isn't it? <laughs> I keep saying it. Don't know why. Um, to really like paint the picture of how not just how not not just how good MF Doom was because I feel like that's kind of un- uh, understood amongst. Uh, hip hop people, I think we all understand like how good he was lyrically, you know how innovative he was with flows and rhyme schemes and all that kind of stuff. You know, you can get, you can have any any uh any rapper of note uh, talk to you f- to for days, uh, talk your ear off about how good MF Doom was lyrically, um, and also production wise as well in in some ways. But um, for me, it's all for me. It comes back to just influence and how. I feel like how hard that will take, uh, how long that will take uh, for us as a collective people to actually document how influential that dude was. Um, from how much, you know, I was talking about how many children Q-Tip have, and obviously they are big names, but I feel like pound for pound, MF Doom has a fuck ton of, <laughs> a fuck ton of children um, that we may may not know about until later on down the line um, and uh you know you can say people like you know uh Denzel Curry uh uh Mos Def uh Lupe in some ways uh, I think he did like a nice tribute recently I saw that on Twitter um and that's just scratching the surface like there are so many people Earl and um, Tyler took... especially Earl uh, and yeah, Tyler, oh, yeah. massively yeah. yeah that's that's obviously that's obviously a, a you know Anything odd future, Tyler, Earl, uh, Kendrick in some ways. Uh, it's, it's, it's endless. I honestly think the list is endless. I don't think we'll get the full list. Because um, for some, you can really, like, you can see the children for some people, right? You can see the children of Kanye very clearly. It's, it's so fine for, for someone like MF Doom because he did so much with what he did. Um, so yeah, that, that's kind of where I'm, where I'm thinking towards, uh, towards his death, um, of just how influential he actually was and how long it's actually going to take us, uh, to really come to grips with how, uh, powerful he was as a true underground artist, uh, which has to be stated. Uh, so yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, this is a tough one, man. Um, I heard about it on New Year's Day. Uh, I saw a tweet. I went out for a run, and uh, I saw a tweet from his family. And uh, someone replied to it, uh, don't scare me like this. And I was like, man, imagine if MF Doom died. That'd be fucked. And I was out running, and then Charlie texted me, and he said, what the fuck? And, yeah, I mean, it, it hurts. It hurts. MF Doom was the first underground rapper i ever heard uh it's been about 04 and mf doom uh, i think it was fake sure drive on twitter i think it was him um talks about how mf doom was one of those artists that someone had to put you on to because he wasn't charting man his highest charting was born like this in 2009 which i think went 52 or something like that but prior to that he did not hit the billboard so oh i think mad villainy went 117 or something like that but you know it's it's just not on the radar you know so i don't even remember who put me on to him i can't remember but i i 
sure I put others onto him. And I think it's my boy Oatmeal for me. So shout out Oatmeal. <laughs> shout that out because it's important, man. Like this, this guy is just a fucking legend. The amount of children he has is, I I see it everywhere. I see it everywhere. I see it in Mavi. I see it in Rock Marciano. I see it in Freddie Gibbs. I see it in so many artists now. So many artists. Earl, obviously, Tyler. Look at Tyler, man. The way that Tyler produces and the way that that aesthetic, that grungy, especially early in his career, is just, and the way that he's flourished into what he is now. Uh, that video when Earl and Tyler went to that Doom show is just beautiful because yeah. it shows you, it shows you. Like, watch that. If you've never seen it, look it up. Watch that video. It shows you how important this man was to so many people. Because it wasn't it wasn't a song songs you were listening to in clubs. It wasn't songs you were listening to with <laughs> groups of people. It wasn't what you were putting on the orcs when you're in a fuck on a road trip. This is not what you were listening to. Mostly, you were listening no. to this shit alone. You know, mostly you were listening to this stuff alone. And when you found someone yeah. else in real life that you could rap along to with it, you were like, whoa, what the fuck? Because you had this, like, solitary mm. isolated experience with doom and then to recognize you know one of the craziest things was me realizing that people online actually knew about doom and he had this huge following mm. on twitter that i didn't even realize he was that popular he was really popular uh 2020 2019 i was tweeting about him and getting a lot of traction and that was amazing but like every every aspect of this man i mean you just have to go and listen to special herbs and just be like whoa what the fuck? He was producing like this too? It's just, you know, he's he's unbelievable. And obviously he could have blown the fuck up commercially if he wanted to, but he just wanted to keep making, you know, what he made. And, and he talks about it. Some of the bars he spit, like rap snitches, you know, all this shit. Like he was saying that stuff in 2004. And look at what's happening in 2020. It's just unbelievable. The skits. The skits, man, no one has ever done skits the way he's done it. People have tried. They can't. You can't do it as consistently as that. You could name me an album where you're like, yeah, the skits are good. The skits are funny. But then the next album, you're like, eh, they fell off with the skits. Every MF Doom project, the skits are amazing. It's like there, there was one crazy stat in mm, food, and it was like something like seven minutes of skits between Doom in the middle of the out al- in the middle of the album between him spitting again unbelievable how the fuck does he do that but he did it and it worked it's just unbelievable and just the lyrical ability of him uh i'm gonna i'm gonna read out meat grinder because it's just i don't know he 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 the intro to this song is frank zappa so like you can tell what kind of time mf doom and and um mad lib were on on this album but he raps Tripping off the beat kinda, dripping off the meat grinder, heat niner, pimping, stripping, soft sweet miner. China was a neat sign and trouble with the script. Digits double dip, bubble lipped, subtle lifts midget, borderline schizo, sorta of fine tits though, pour the wine, hoard a grind, quarter nine, let's go. Ever since ten eleven, glad she made a brethren, then it's like like what the fuck? What the fuck? What the <laughs> fuck? They're all like this. They're yeah. all like this, man. And then you get a song like Ho Cakes, like the, like the, the, ah, oh bro. Uh, this guy, he's a legend, man. He's just one of the greatest rappers of all time. And he's actually, I've, I've mentioned him many times in this podcast. He's in my top five. And yeah. um, he, was, he was only 49 years old. And yeah, it's, it's upsetting. It's upsetting, you know. Um, sometimes I can be a little bit cynical when, uh, you know, 
there's a lot of death in the world. And then I'm like, why do we fixate on this one celebrity death? Uh, yeah, it's because they impacted yeah, us, yeah. man. But mm. it's because they impacted us. It's because they're part of our mm. life. We see them as part of the family. We see them as part of our inner circle because, you mm. know, for me, I'm trying not to get emotional. I'm, I'm pretty emotional. Um, I'm, I've, I cried the day that he passed. It sounds silly, but when I was younger, it was just you know, driving long drives by myself was me and MF Doom. Like, we were just chilling. We were, I was listening to him rap and just, he was blowing my mind and I never knew rap could be like that. I never knew, all I'd listened to was mainstream stuff and I didn't know, you know, rappers could rap like that and, and be that expansive and that lyrical and just that underground and that gritty and that sound. It was just, I didn't know it existed. And yeah, he opened my eyes to a lot of stuff and I think that's why uh, we get so upset over these celebrity deaths is because they feel like they're part of the family, you know? And um, mm-hmm. when you lose them, it, it is painful, man. And uh, I don't think we should, I don't think we should lean away from that. I think we should lean into it and accept it and understand it and recognize that, you know, just because like I saw some criticism out there of people, you know, celebrating him on his death and like, why didn't you support him when he was alive? It's like, bro, yeah, it's not we all, it's not we're all supporting him while he was alive. We love that guy. Like, you know, it's just, you, do, you weren't thinking about him on December 30th because why would you be? You know, <laughs> exactly. You, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, why yeah, would that yeah. be the case? Like, we're going to uh-huh. give everyone their flowers all the time. Like, I'm always going to be listening to every single artist I've ever liked all the time. Exactly. Like, come yeah, on. It's impossible. Yeah. Yeah. Silly. So, um, it's tough, man. Rest in peace to MF Doom. And, uh, you know, Tyler tweeted out, safe travels, villain. And, um, yeah, that, that seemed pretty appropriate. Yeah, two things. Um, well, three things I wanted to uh, note on that. Uh, firstly, I did not realize until until he died that the way you say his surname is Doomile. And that just says a lot to me. I just did, <laughs> I thought it was Doomil. <laughs> but the fact is Doomile. <laughs> Fucking makes so fucking much do, sense. Man. Fucking do, man. Fucking do. Me, <laughs> I didn't so even great, know. Man. I didn't even know. I was like, oh, raw. That's why he's doing... Okay, right. That makes a lot of sense. Um, <laughs> uh, another one uh, which I've, which has just gone out of my head, so I'll just skip to the third. Uh, I wanted to quote Rhymes Like Dimes, which uh, is, is one of my favourites, uh, that verse. Um, Joke and rhymes like the is you just happy to see me trick classical slapstick rappers need chapstick a lot of them sound like they in the talent show so I give them something to remember like the Alamo tally ho a high joker uh, like a spades game came back from five years laying stay the same saying electro electromagnetic field blocks all logic Spock a G shocks her biological clock when I hear slid into the shitter. Thought I killed her goose. Her power was uh, power use was pure Brita water filter juice. Keep a pen like a fiend. Keep a pipe with him. Gentleman who lent a pen to a friend who write with him. Never seen the shit again, but he's still my dunny. <laughs> the only thing that comes between us is krill and money. That's mm. glorious. Uh, so yeah, shout out to Doom, RIP. And we shall finish up with that. Uh, ladies and gentlemen. From the Fifth End Podcast Network, it's been Digging Digits. Hope you've enjoyed this episode. Tribe Part 2 coming right up next week. I've been Charlie Taylor, the Fifth End. I've been Ben Carter of Hip Hop Numbers.
We hope you all have a good week. Happy New Year to one and all. And I can't say that next week because, as we all know, you have seven days until we stop saying that shit. And I feel like that should be written into international law. Uh, So with that said, have a good week. We should always try and do the same. But until the next time, take it easy, ladies and gentlemen. All right, peace. Digging in the Digits is produced by me and Ben Carter. The show is edited by me. Music for the shows, piece of video games by bonus points. Thanks to Chill Off Records for the ability to use. Socials for the fulfillment, hip hop by numbers, bonus points, and Chill Off Records will be in the full show notes wherever you're listening. This has been the Fifth Podcast Network and Hip Hop by Numbers collaboration. Thanks for spending time with us, and we shall see you next time on Digging in the Digits.